Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. Now listen, hey, at first I want to say thank you to everybody who made it out yesterday to our interactive live nativity, to all the volunteers, to all the people that hung out. It was a blast. I don't know how many people we had through because a couple years ago I tried to do the little clicker and it just got too, yeah, just annoying. So we had all kinds of people though, a steady stream of people from the time we opened up at 10 and at 2 o'clock when we were putting the camel back into the trailer, people were still taking pictures with that thing. All right, so there was, there was uh, all kinds of animals, um, even a, uh, what was that, Patty, the thing I told you about? I can't even, it was like a big rat. I don't know why that was there. It's from South America. The thing was huge. It was pretty cool. It was at the end. It came out, so... Uh, we had fun, and I'm going to steal Jim's joke that he was telling everybody. The cow during the major scene was a little moody, but it was a fun day. <laughs> Come on, guys. That was funny, right? <laughs> it was a fun day. We got to interact with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people from our community. We got to give them a little bit of joy and hope and uh, encourage them during this season with some love. So I want to thank everybody, and I want you to uh, know that, uh, hey, what we do matters, all right? Uh, just even a little fun things like that is an opportunity for us to say, hey, if you want to live your best life, you got to live a life that is forged on God. He's the God of hope. He's the God of joy and uh, is the reason why we do what we do. All right, so thank you for being there and checking that out. And listen, it got me thinking a little bit about ghosts. Now, specifically the ghosts of Christmas past, all right? And I'm not talking about old Ebenezer Scrooge today and his messy childhood and his, his array youth that made him have all these different ghosts uh, visit him. I'm talking about some of the mistakes, right? some of the, the scary ghosts of maybe our Christmas past, some of the mistakes that we've made or parents have made for us in Christmases that have gone by. Right, specifically, I want to talk here at the beginning here, specifically about the lengths uh, our parents or our grandparents went to get toys, right, to get toys that were so desperately wanted by us or by, by children, right? For example, right, if you were uh, growing up in the 90s, you might remember uh, Tickle Me Elmo, right? Uh, all right. Stephen had one. All right, Tickle Me Elmo. And rumors have it that a Tickle Me Elmo, uh, parents were paying thousands of dollars on the toy black market for these things. All right? I don't know how you find the toy black market, but parents were on there, and they were paying thousands of dollars for a Sesame Street character whose allure came from the fact that, that it went into seizures when you gave it a hug. All right? Thousands of dollars for this thing. Or, or I'm told if you had a daughter in the, the 2000s, and, and you may know uh, that uh, they had these things called Bratz dolls that were super popular. All right, Bratz dolls. All right, evidently, there was such desperation to get hands on these dolls, these little plastic dolls, but not just any of them, the right character. And so, so many parents overlooked how just a little plastic doll could carry so much outright rebellion and sass. Right? That's what these dolls 
are known for. Right? It's funny to me that, that the um, parents and grandparents are so eager uh, to buy their, their, their children these dolls, and the primary message of the doll was that your parents are idiots, right? It just seemed a little funny, a little funny to me. Now, a little bit more recently, there's this thing uh, on the dark web, uh, the toy dark web called a, a Juzu pet. I don't even know if I'm saying that correct. Did I say it right? Okay, he knows, eh? Tickle me Alma, going to the Juju pet. All right, now these things, people are paying three times the asking price, the retail price for these dolls. Right now, if we if we go way back, all right, uh, one of the strangest toys comes to mind. All right, if we go way back to Christmas past, I'm told, and I don't really believe this one, but evidently it's an actual thing. In the 70s, people were f- fighting, literally fighting over, right, getting pet rocks. <laughs> pet rocks, right? And these rocks came in a box with like holes cut out so that the, the pet rock could breathe, right? A, a, a rock, right? This, I mean, people were like fighting each other for this rock in a box that could become your pet. Now, that's it, right? I mean, that's, that's crazy, right? I mean, the, the downside is, is that they're not very fun to watch, right? I mean, the upside of a pet rock is, is that you don't have to flush it down the toilet, right? You don't have to have that conversation with your kids, So I wonder, what is it going to be this year, right? What is it going to be this year, right? I mean, millions of parents are desperately hoping that this year they'll find the the right toy, the the, the right thing, right? They're searching. A toy that will both light up Christmas morning and not end up stuffed in the back of a, a closet three weeks from now, right? That's the goal. Right? I don't even want to think about all the gifts that I bought my nieces and that I bought my nephews that just, let alone Christmas Day, they weren't that excited. Like, let alone like three weeks from Christmas, right? They didn't even care. Like, oh, what's this? Right? I don't even want to know how much money I've spent on toys that were just thrown aside. Right? But we keep buying them, right? And we keep hoping that this time it will be different. Right? I got a toy that came in the mail yesterday for my nephew. Right? I'm pumped. I'm excited about it. I'm hoping he's actually going to use it. Because right? if he does, actually, if he doesn't use it, I'm just going to take it. So I want it. Right? But listen, I, we're hoping, we're searching, and we're thinking that this time, this toy is going to be a little bit different. So let me, let me shift gears here for a moment, and, and let's look at the very first Christmas present and how it was significantly different from from all of that, right? All these, these uh, black web toy markets that are out there. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2, where we've been the last couple of weeks. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be today, verses 8 through 12. And it's always on the screen behind me. And as always, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. And those Bibles you can take with you. They are free for you to take, to use, to have. And if you're watching online and you want a Bible, just throw that comment up there and uh, we will send you a Bible. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 8, to start off today. All right, follow along with me. The shepherds and the angels. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, Guarding their flocks of sheep, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. 
They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that, I'm sorry, I will bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And it says, you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now skip to verse 16. It says, they hurried, the shepherds, they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And it says, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Right? They were astonished at this story. Right? Now, this Christmas present, this, this first Christmas present is totally different, right? It's not a pet rock. This thing actually pooped, right? It did, right? The problem, right? The problem with toys and most things that we look to hope for or joy for, not just toys, right? Is a case of, of diminishing returns. Right? That's, that's what it is, right? Now, in economics, I had to look this up. The law of diminishing returns says that as an investment in a particular area increases, the rate of profit from the investment after a certain point cannot continue to increase if other variables remain at a constant. All right? That's what we're talking about with, with both toys and things that we look to for, for hope and for, for joy. We find that the more we go back to that thing, to whatever it is, or, or think about that thing, the less joy it brings. Right? The, the less hope in it or that we originally had from it, we have. The less we have. Right? Even if you have an, an incredible once-in-a-lifetime thing, event happen in your life, right? you can only hold on to it for so long. Right? Let's, let's say, for example, you're an adrenaline junkie, and so you, you, you jumped out of an airplane. Right? You've been looking forward to this opportunity for like your whole life, and finally, the big day comes. You jump out of an airplane, and it is the most exhilarating Right? The coolest, most uh, biggest adrenaline rush that you've ever had in your life. And for the next few days, just thinking uh, about jumping out of that plane brings a level of adrenaline in your life, a level of joy back to you. Right? It's like me when I go to a really good restaurant and have a really good meal. Right? I talk about it for a few days. Right? Like, that place was awesome. You got to get this. Right? This dish is crazy good. Right? It's the same thing, right? But soon, the memory drops, right? Soon, the, the memory of the, the jumping out of the airplane, or in my case, the steak that I ate, right, doesn't hold the same power. Right? It starts to diminish. And what is worse, the, the next jump or the, the next restaurant doesn't quite do what the first jump did, right? And after a while, you find jumping out of an airplane doesn't, doesn't do much of anything at all, for you. It's not an adrenaline rush anymore. There's no looking forward to it. There's no joy in it. Now, now, Foundry Church, in the, in the same way, if you were given an amazing gift, an amazing gift, it only brings happiness 
for so long. Right? Eventually, though, right, it just becomes a part of the, the mass of stuff that we have. Right? Even if it's just like something super, super cool or super personal or just a family heirloom, it just eventually, although it's cool, just sits on the shelf or is in the back of the closet or is just a memory kind of covered up in the back of our mind. But listen, the first Christmas, that first Christmas gift is a different sort of gift altogether, isn't it? I mean, really, it is, right? The, the shepherds, they show us uh, that encountering Jesus, encountering Jesus is a different sort of experience altogether, a, a different sort of adrenaline rush Altogether, right? It had such an impact on the shepherds, this, this encounter uh, with Jesus, uh, that they had to spread the word about it. They had to share the joy and the hope and the adrenaline that they had from that meeting. Right? They, they, they had to share the gospel with the world, right? This, this story of Jesus. Take, take a look at this. Do we have this? Yep. All right. It was a lasting hope and joy that they could not contain. It was a lasting hope and joy that these shepherds had when they first encountered that very first Christmas gift that they could not contain. And then three decades later, 30 years for you math people, not math people, after that encounter, right, after that encounter, Jesus himself gave us insight on the sort of hope and joy that we should have for our lives. Right, take, take a look at this, right? It says in John chapter 15, verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Right? Right? We all taste hope in our lives at some point. Right? We, all, we all taste hope in our lives. We, we experience joy at some point in our lives. How many of us would say that our joy is complete? Right? Everlasting, never-ending. How many of us would, would say that? Listen, there are 250 uh, passages in our Bible that deal with joy. 250 passages in the Bibles that you're holding in your lap that deal with joy. Right now, if you read them, if you look at these passages, you'll find that the, the Bible doesn't just encourage joy. Like, hey, have joy. It doesn't just say that, right? It, it commands us to have joy. Right? In those, those scriptures, it literally commands us to have joy. In fact, the, the Bible commands us to rejoice, right? to, to live out our joy, to rejoice twice, get this, twice as many times as it tells us to repent in the Bible. Right? We're commanded to live out our joy, to rejoice always. Right? We're not just given permission to laugh at some fun things. Right? All right, listen, Founder, right? God wants us to, to live our life by constantly overflowing and being filled with joy. He's saying, you guys are, are a party people. Right? You guys are called to be uh, party animals in your communities. To, to, to have joy, to rejoice always. So it comes to this, right? It comes to this question. The question is this now. Is that how you would describe your life? 
Right? Is that how you would describe your life? What, what you do, how you feel, how you are living, how you're interacting with the world around you. Right? And so I want to peel this onion a little bit this morning. Right? And I want to start looking at some of these, these passages of these 250 passages in Scripture. Right? The, the, the shepherd's joy was a result of what God had done, right? It was a result of what he had done. Watching sheep at night, watching sheep in a field during the day, it's, it has its merits, I guess, right? It's all right. I mean, it is a job. We know the shepherds were kind of the low in society. A lot of them were, were, were uh, prisoners that had come out of jail, and that was like the job that they, they did because they didn't want to be, like others didn't want them in society, right? But you still get a little bit of a paycheck, and you know, you could always have a roasted lamb leg for dinner. So it, so it has its merits, right? right? But the, the hope, the, the, the wonder, right? Uh, the the life-changing joy for them began when they first heard of Jesus, like we said. When they first experienced that first Christmas gift, right? And then the joy not diminished, but grew as they got to the barn, to the stable, and they actually met him. They experienced him, and they shared him, right? Joy brings for us in the same way that it begins with the shepherds, right? It begins with meeting Jesus. That's where joy is from, right? Without that foundation, without that, that anvil to forge our life on, how can we have hope and joy that is everlasting? Right? I mean, listen, right? very few things last forever, right? It's just the way it is. Very few things last forever. Right? An encounter with Jesus, a relationship with the God of the universe lasts for all of eternity. Right? Take, a, take a look at this. Right, Meeting Jesus never stops impacting. It never stops shaping. It never stops forging or transforming our lives. It's always there. It's always working. Right, Meeting Jesus, whether for the very first time, forging our life on him for the very first time or the hundredth time through our, our, our daily disciplines. It never stops giving us hope and opportunities for joy, right? So with that foundation in mind, let's, let's zero in on and, and do the old double click a little bit here on a few of the basic themes that recur over and over again in these 250 uh, passages of joy. Don't worry, I'm, not, I'm just doing a few. Not all 250, right? So if we're going to forge our life on God, if that's the goal, if that's what we want to do, right? If that's how we are going to live out the great commission and be disciples, if we're going to forge our life on God and walk in the joy that God has for us, it seems like it's probably a pretty good idea that we should pay attention to what the Bible not only says, but in this case is going to repeat over and over again. Right? I mean, that just makes, that just makes sense, right? So, so take a look at this. It starts with this understanding. And if you have a pen, write this down or take a picture of the screen. The easiest way to take notes around here. It says, well, our foundation for joy comes as a result of what Jesus did for us. We have to find that embracing daily joy has little to do with what happens every day. Does that make sense? Right? Joy, the joy that we're talking about has nothing to do with what is happening right here, right now. 
what's happening daily in our lives, right? It has to do with what Jesus did for us. In fact, according to many of the, the passages in the, in the Bible of those 250, hope and joy are, are more of a mindset, right? They're more of a, of a posture that we take with our lives as we're living out what Jesus is saying about joy and hope, right? It's a posture that we take, not just at Christmas time, but each day of our lives, right? It's, a, it's an undeniable theme uh, concerning joy in the Bible, to have this posture of joy. Now, the Apostle Paul clearly demonstrates this truth in Philippians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over there. Philippians chapter 4, it says this in, in verses 4 through 5. It says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. And he says, say, I say it again, rejoice, right? Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice, right? One important part of, of walking Right? Forging our lives in hope and joy as we forge our life on God is simply to choose to rejoice in everything. Right? I mean, think, think about that, right? right? Much of, of hope, much of, uh, of, of joy and rejoicing in the Bible isn't, isn't really connected with circumstances. It's just not. It's, it's connected uh, with a decision or, or a posture of how you're going to live, right? In fact, one of the, the keys to, to life, uh, living a life of joy is to rejoice even when the circumstances are, are disappointing or even a little bit painful, right? For a, a very powerful example of this, let's check out the amazing prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. It's one of my, my favorite sections of scripture. And there's another one of these, these passages of the 250 that talk about having joy. So Habakkuk prays to God when Israel is just falling apart, right? It's, it's in a terrible state of disarray. It's a, it's a mess, right? Things are are crumbling around them. Uh, there's wickedness. There's idolatry. There's just corruption everywhere. Uh, the, the Assyrians are like on their doorstep ready to, to conquer and, and overtake and invade, right? They're, they're threatening to overwhelm Israel. There's just so much going on. And as I read Habakkuk's prayer, this prophet's prayer in Habakkuk chapter 3, I want you to pay attention to the circumstances that the prophet is facing when, when um, he writes this, all right? So let, just, just pay attention. It says, through, all right, it says, though the fig trees do not bud and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and there are no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And there's, there is not much more that could go wrong for the nation of Israel at this point. 
It really isn't. Yet Habakkuk's response to all that is happening around him is to rejoice. And not just to rejoice, but to be joyful in it. To be a party people, right? To, to be a party animal of some sort, right? And that reminds me, I should give you warning because in a few minutes the kids are downstairs going to be partying. And I happen to leave a bunch of those confetti poppers we use during baptism. So if you do hear something that sounds like a big pop, it's not a gunshot. It's the kids downstairs. All right. I just, before that happened here in a couple minutes, I, shot, I thought I should warn you. All right. Rejoice. Be joyful. Right? That, that's amazing, right, Foundry Church? There's not much else that can be going wrong in Habakkuk's world, and he's choosing to be joyful. That is forging your life on God. Now, this is how it works, right? This is how we think it works. Normally, good things happen, and then we feel happy, right? And that's all right. Good things happen in our lives. We feel happy. That's good. Right? And, uh, we feel joy in our lives, and so therefore we rejoice, right? Uh, we party, we celebrate. Our prospects, they, they look good, right? And then hope starts to fill our hearts, right? That, that's good stuff, but, but the Bible says it's actually a little bit different than that, right? It, it says this it's saying, hey, that's all fine, but actually the way it works, the other way, it works the other way around. You start with rejoicing and then you feel joy, right? You don't just have some good things in your life and you feel joy, so therefore you rejoice. No, you start with the worship. You start with rejoicing, and then you feel that joy. So like the, the shepherds in that very first Christmas, we have a reason to rejoice. Emmanuel. Right? Jesus has come, Christ with us. Joy flows out of our rejoicing every bit as much as rejoicing, partying, however you want to put it, should flow out of joy. Now here's a, a practical example of this, a practical illustration of this. Right? A lot of us, many of us, maybe even all of us in this room, watching online, whatever, probably don't like to feel embarrassed. Right? We don't like the feeling of embarrassment. Right? For, for example, when I hear embarrassed, I first, the first thing that pops in my mind is my grandpa Troop. I don't know why. My, my mom's father, right? he was one of those guys that would wear like five cameras around his neck. Right? He had like the black and white one. He had the digital one. He had the old school film one. And then like backup ones of those. Right? He would wear those around his neck. And, and I moved in... Uh, uh, before seventh grade, my sister and I, our family, we moved to a whole new town, a whole new school, right? A bigger school, um, you know, they had like really good football, so I'm like trying to act real tough and, and, and all this, right? And, and my grandpa and grandma decide they want to be there for our first day at this new school. And, and so that morning, or the first day of school, I know, I know grandpa's going to want to drive me to school. And I know he's going to bring those cameras, right? And I know... He's going to make me take a photo in front of the front door of that school, right? I just know it. It's building this. And I, just, oh, I know it's coming, right? And what do you know? I'm, I'm halfway through my Cheerios. Hey, I'm going to drive you, Andrew. There goes my Cheerios, right? Get to school, and I'm trying to get right out. No, let me take a picture, right? Embarrassment, right? We all have stories like that. Now I look back, and I love those photos, and I love that story, right? But we all have moments 
of embarrassment. Right? I heard um, Chris talking to Emily, his daughter, this morning about how she's embarrassed when he sings. Right? <laughs> and it made me think that uh, the town that I grew up in has a college. And uh, to get to my dad's office, you had to kind of pass by the athletic fields. And right after school, if you picked us up from school, the football players at the college were always walking from, the, from their locker room to the practice fields. And they always had, like, this is back in the day, so they always had, like, the boom box, like, walking to practice like they were tough. They weren't very good. Um, <laughs> but they were acting like they were tough, and they had this boom box with, like, a bunch of loud music, right? And my dad, he would turn it to the classical station or the oldies at the red light, and he would crank the music. And I'm always, you know, <laughs> you know right? Same thing, right? Embarrassment. We don't like to feel embarrassed, right? We all hate making a mistake or we hate doing something kind of foolish or having something foolish done in our midst, like a, a dad teasing their kids, right? Or, or just feeling like an idiot, not knowing what's going on or, or making a mistake. And so the, the illustration of this is that when that feeling comes, right, the, the, the first thing that we want to do is we want to push it away, right? We kind of just want to, we want to push it away. Right? Not just with embarrassment, but with other things, right? However we can, right? We, we run from it. Uh, we, try to, we just try to forget it, right? Uh, we try to replace it, or we try to uh, defend against it. In fact, most of us will do whatever it takes to not feel it, right? We just don't want to feel it, right? And so the, the next time you're embarrassed, try this, right? When, when embarrassment comes, don't expect to enjoy it, Right? Just don't expect to enjoy it, but to rejoice in it. And it's the same thing with pain or suffering or, or sorrow, right? Don't expect to run from it. Embrace it. Right? We can actually thank God when we are foolish, for example, because it's a chance for our ego to be contained, challenged, or even broken. Right? Isn't that why we feel embarrassed in the first place? Right? Our ego has challenged us. It's been challenged, so we're embarrassed. So instead of running away from it or pushing it down, trying to uh, try giving praise to God for this opportunity to be humble. Right? You can literally say a prayer. Thanks, God, for giving me this chance to be humbled. Thank you that my, my ego and my pride are being challenged. I rejoice in you. Right? Or I rejoice in this, this opportunity to not focus on my pain, but to focus on you as a healer, uh, to focus on you as a comforter. Right, to, to sit under your wings, as it says in Psalms, of protection. Right? The, this approach can change the way that we go through all sorts of different, different things in our lives. Failures, embarrassment, pain. Right? We, wouldn't, we won't ever desire them, right? but maybe for the first time we can have joy in the midst of them. Now, Here's a, another cool thing, another thing that we can learn from those 250 passages, uh, another line uh, of thought. And it comes from this really cool uh, verse in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 28, that says this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Right? Now think about this, right? right? All things is not some things, Right? Right? All things. When we read all things, that doesn't mean most things. Right? When we read all things, what do we think he means here? All things. 
Yeah, all things, right? All things is all things. So no matter what you go through, you can be absolutely certain that one of two things is happening. All right, take a look. All right, either, either God sent it or God is going to use it. Right, God sent it or he's going to use it. Right? I, I think God sent things into our lives uh, that aren't quite what we ask for. Right? And that's okay, right? It's a, it's a lesson, right? I didn't ask my dad to embarrass me, right? But he, he helped me check my ego or learn how to do it, right? right? I also think there are tragedies and pain in this world that God doesn't send our way. It's because we live in a broken world. They're there, right? But if you love him, right, you're forging your life on him, you can be sure that he's going to use it somehow and in some way for your good, right? He is mindful of you, right? He's, he's watchful over you, right? He, he cares for us, right? In that, we can always have hope. We can always rejoice. And one of the uh, eventual overflows of rejoicing, like we've said, is joy, is joy. It is the opportunity to be a party people, right? Let's, let's think about it like this, right? Do you remember what the big sin that the Israelites did, uh, that they fell into uh, when they were out wandering around in the desert after they escaped Egypt? Right? Yeah, I mean, really, there's two, right? And the one that always just kind of, kind of pops out into our mind, the one that we think, the only one that we think really was there was idolatry. Right? They, you know, they melted all their gold stuff and they made a, a calf and, and, and they started worshiping that because that seemed logical for whatever reason. Right? But really, right, this other sin and really the more common sin with these people at that time was that they wouldn't stop whining. Right? They wouldn't stop complaining. They wouldn't stop grumbling. They just want to shut up about it, right? Their, their whining made God angry, it said, right? Some of us need to be reminded that whining, complaining, and, and grumbling are our sins, right? Are, are missing the mark of what we're called to do, right? We are, yes, called to share our burdens. We really are, right? And, and please, let, let's be honest with one another in our pain. Let's, let's share those things and those troubles and those heartaches, right? right? If you have a godly friend, that's a good thing to share those things with them. If you're a part of a, an iron council of brothers and sisters where iron sharpens iron, that, that's a good thing to, to talk about, to share, to pray for one another, to share our struggles, our burdens. But there's a line, right? Eventually, whining just becomes gossip, or uh, complaining just for complaining's sake, right? Whining and complaining about your boss, about your kids' teachers, about your relatives, about the president of your homeowners association, about your friend's sin. It's incredibly dishonoring, and it's divisive. It's, it's anti-unity, and we're called to be unified, right? And so just as rejoicing brings about joy or restores your joy, complaining steals it, right? Whining robs it from you. And that's another thing that we're learning in these 250 scriptures that you look at about joy, right? How many of you know people who just complain a lot? We know them, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, the kids are raising their hands. They both looked at their mom. <laughs> All right. Now, how many of us 
we know people who just complain a lot, right? How many of you, you, you just, you know, you, these people, would you describe, would you describe these people as just, just hopeful, happy, joyful people who you love being around? <laughs> Not really, right? It, it doesn't, it doesn't help, right? It, it hurts. And so one of the lessons we can learn is if we are prone to complain a lot, stop it, Right? <laughs> You got to nip it in the bud, like 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 Barney says on Andy Griffith. <laughs> right? Complaining is actually a declaration of war against our own joy. That's how deep it is. That's why it's a sin. Right? There's there's a, another undeniable thing theme connected uh, to our continued hope and growing joy that's found throughout the Bible, and it's most clearly seen in Psalms 51, another one of those those sections of Scripture on on joy. And this beautiful passage here was written by King David after he had an affair with Bathsheba and arranged for her husband to be killed, right? And in verses uh, 3 and 4, David says this of Psalms 51. He just says, listen, listen, he says, my sin is always before me, right? And remember what sin is. Sin is, is missing the mark, all right? It's not, it's an archery term. It's missing the bullseye, all right? So he's always missing. It's always right there. I'm always missing the bullseye, right? It's like when Barrett, I took him to go throw the axes at the axe target. Always missing the bullseye, right? Always missing the bullseye. As you say, right, my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I, I, I think the, the high point of this Psalms, of Psalms 51, is later on where it goes into verse, verse 12, uh, where David prays, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I am terrible. I miss the mark always. The only thing I can see is not the bullseye. In fact, I just see the, the, the fact that I'm going to miss. So restore in me the joy, the happiness, the, the party of my salvation. The joy of meeting you for the first time. The joy of, of, of eternity in heaven with you. Right, the first thing to notice is that David, he brings his life, he brings it back into alignment, on, on, on target, on focus with God's truth and God's word. He realigns it, right? Our sin almost clearly and certainly will bring temporary pleasure. It always does, right? Our sin and missing this mark, right? It's probably a momentary relief in our lives that we want or maybe even provides a little bit of happiness. But we all know that in the end, if, if it will steal our hope, it will rob us and crush our joy. And so David... He also wrote these words in Psalms chapter 19, verse 8, where he says, the precepts of the Lord, the, the guardrails of the Lord, right? the, 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 the rules and the orders of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart, he says. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. You can see the target now, and you can hit a bullseye every time. He says, so you want your eyes to light up? <laughs> do you want to come alive in your life? Do you want to have an unshakable hope and an unshakable joy and then do things God's way? 
Forge your life on God and not on your own power or on your own way. I and mean, listen to what C.S. Lewis it says in his, his classic Christian work, The uh, Weight of Glory. And if you haven't read C.S. Lewis, we have a couple books out there on the bookshelf of his. And he's one of my favorites, right? He says this. He said, it would seem that our Lord, our God, finds our desire not too strong. Our desire is not too strong, but too weak. He says, we are half-hearted creatures who fool around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. So like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased, right? Lewis, he, he's making a powerful connection with, with David's words in Psalms 51, right? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I think too easily we forget. Right? Too easily we forget what the angel was announcing to the shepherds. I think too easily we forget what it means that the Savior had been born to them. And to us, the the, the truth of eternal life alone, if if, if we really understand what it means for us, is more than enough to give us cause to rejoice in every single situation, right? Right? No matter what we go through, we can can desire to have that hope and joy. Take, Take a look at this, right? No matter what we go through, No matter what we're dealing with, yes, but one day I'll be in heaven with Jesus. I lost my loved one. Don't have enough money to pay for rent. I can't kick this addiction. Things aren't working out. Can't find a job. On and on and on. Yes. But I'll be in heaven with Jesus. In fact, we know he's going to help us even now, right? Like we read in Romans. (laughs) Now, it may sound a little silly to you. I get it. Right? It it may sound really unrealistically optimistic. Right? Usually when I hear that kind of stuff, I'm like, "Eh, you're too positive. Right? You're too positive. Right? But heaven is our real hope and source for real joy. Salvation includes heaven, but salvation is more than heaven. Let me explain, right? Salvation means we are God's child, uh, that we are forging a life on him, that we are part of his family, that we're soldiers in his kingdom, that we're his kids, right? That we have an inheritance of heaven. Yes, right? Salvation also means that we're a part of this family of God, right? And to be God's child is to always be on God's mind, right? I mean, think about it, right? To have God involved and working in everything in our lives right now, Right? To, to be found in Jesus is to be, to be given the standing offer and the ability to be in God's presence from here until eternity. Right? To, to believe in Jesus is to always to have his spirit 
The power from that spirit, his insight, his help, his comfort, his peace, his strength in every circumstance. So as the, as the worship team comes back up here, listen, joy, right, joy is stolen, robbed from us when we forget what Jesus' arrival on earth means to our lives. And so we, we, we search for it by making, like C.S. Lewis said, mud pies in the dirt in the slum of of what this world has to offer instead of seeking the refreshment, the peace, the joy, the the power, the refreshment of a holiday at sea which comes with meeting and loving and sharing Jesus in this world. When you, you think of Christians... Right, when, you, when you hear that, right, do you, do you see images of people who are, who are full of hope and joy? Is that what pops up in your mind? Right, when I say followers of Jesus, or when I say people who are forging their life on God, right, do you think of people who are full of hope and are marked by rejoicing, who are marked by partying, who are marked by being a people who just love to celebrate? Because I hope so. And again, not just when everything's like perfect. But always, because life can be hard, (laughs) but we know the secret that the shepherds had, right? The the same secret that they held so tight, the Savior has come. The Savior has come. In him, we are saved. In him, we win. See, the amazing thing is, is no matter what happens, that can never be taken away from us. Right, Jesus tells us if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed in John chapter 8. So let's live like we're saved. Let's live like we're loved. Let's live like we are free. Right, listen, every, every moment that we have is a chance to sing and to live our praises out to an amazing King. Every moment that we have is a chance to rejoice. Every moment that we have is an opportunity to be filled with and to overflow with joy. Real joy. Let your strength rise. Let your hope arise. Rejoice in the Lord always again, right? Rejoice always. Will you pray with me? God, Our Father, we thank you so much for this gift that is unlike any other gift that we've ever been given. Thank you so much for sending your Son, God in the flesh, into this world to save us from our sins, to put us back on target. Lord, we forget what a wonderful and amazing gift our salvation really is. Forgive us when we do, Lord. Forgive us when we forget and fill us with your hope and your joy, a joy that is so complete and overwhelming that we, like the shepherds, are just compelled to go and to share it with this world. We are thank you for the certainty of heaven that we have in, in Jesus, Lord. 
thank you for that hope. But until that day, like the shepherds, Lord, we want to choose to glorify you and to praise you. We'll continue to rejoice in you and all that you've done in our lives and in our church and in the lives of those that we love and know, Lord. We just want to praise you and we want to thank you so, so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Our mediator. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to continue to worship and listen. If you've been forging your life on God, if he is your Lord, if he's your Savior, you've, you, you've made him that in your life, you're forging your life on him, continue to rejoice, continue to share, continue to be like the shepherds. But listen, if you haven't, if you haven't made Jesus your Lord, do that today. Say, Jesus, I want your salvation. I want you to be my Lord. I want to live your ways from now until eternity, and we can do that. We can have you repeat the great confession, the words that Peter said to Jesus. We can have you baptized today. We have swimming suits back there, all right? We're ready. It's a great time to do that at the end of this year. Live that life. Let's glorify and worship him.